Hello, everybody. Welcome to Giants. This is an idea that we had to come up with, you know, in Detroit, Michigan, um, you know, giants of their industry, people who really take a, 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 a a step forward in their industry, their passions, and turn into business. Um, I'm super excited. I'm uh, the host, Simon Thomas, with a really good buddy of mine I've known for most of my life, John Leonis. And today, our first guest on our very first episode is Anthony Lombardo, chef um, at She-Wolf, executive chef. Um, Anthony's been a native of, of, of Michigan his whole life from the east side, which we're going to get into that a little bit. But the most most importantly, in, in why Anthony was our first you know person that we wanted to bring on to this is, you know, he was the first person that came to my mind because if you eat at any of his restaurants, you know that he's passionate about it. You know that he's super uh, uh, into it. But then you have this other end, this business side of it, you know, running a business, taking your passion and then running a business are are two totally different things. You know, Uh, if you like to golf, you typically don't become a golf pro because you don't have time to golf, right? If you like to eat, you typically, you know, uh, or or drink, you, you shouldn't own a bar because you need to run the business. You know, that's how I look at it. But Anthony's done an unbelievable job with his passion and his business. And you can see it in all the accolades, all the things that they've won. And the 10,000 hours, you know, we're going to talk about that. He's done a lot growing up his whole life. So welcome, Anthony. Thank you for coming. Thank you um, we really appreciate it. First but before guest, we get like into that. it. Number one. Number one guest. Number one guest. This is it, it, man. This is it. So hopefully we're going to do many more. And uh, this is the start of it. So before we get into it, though, we want to start with a quote. John. Well, I think it's perfect because I think a lot of the conversation will be about food um, and how important that is. And uh, Anthony Bourdain had a quote that I like. It's, um, food is everything we are. It's an extension of nationalist feeling, ethnic feeling, your personal history, your province, your region, your tribe, your grandma. It's inseparable from those from the get-go. What's your take on that? Oh, man. The GOAT. Bourdain. He was the GOAT. When I graduated culinary school, he spoke at um, one of the commencements. I was in stu- I was a student, and... One of my teachers would he would mark us down, or the chef instructors, because everybody wanted to go hear him speak. He was a rock star at this point in the culinary world, and we wanted to go hear him speak. And our instructor told us, "If you go to the commencement and I find out you were there, I will mark you down," because he was so. He wrote a book. His book was called Kitchen Confidential, and it basically was quote unquote exposing the restaurant industry. Don't eat fish on Tuesdays because it's leftover fish. Uh, your waiter's probably banging your hostess. Uh, this and that. And it was like the dirty secrets of this fine dining restaurant business, which, you know, whatever. Call it exposing it or not. He, you know, opened a lot of eyes to the things that were happening, which were good. And, you know, some, like any business, they had vices. But, yeah, food is life. Food is everything. I love it. I think about it when I sleep. I had a dream last night that I took my mope i took a scooter to a catering and forgot all the food <laughs> i showed up with my scooter and i didn't have any of the food and the, the host was like where's the food i was like oh shit i forgot something so that's the equivalent of like you know a student going to you know having the dream of like showing up at school naked or, or a realtor yeah you know not having the keys to open up the house or whatever it is there's <laughs> work work mares that call right work oh, yeah I, I used to have one growing up with like i'd go to school and i couldn't i couldn't remember my my locker 
you know, combination. And then I would open it and be like, where are my rollerblades? Like, I mean, it's what, like what? Like whacked out, whacked out stuff. So who knows? But, but when I look at this, uh, this quote or, or read this quote, it's deep, you yeah. know, like, and you realize again, like, this is why I love, this is why we really wanted to get into stuff like this in, in this, in this, uh, podcast. And, and, and it's kind of like the point, you know, people think about, oh, I'm going to go out to eat. I'm going to go grab a, a burger, right? I'm going to go grab a, a pasta whatever but they don't realize what really goes into it and the people behind it and really like he didn't look at this as like i'm a chef i'm just cooking eggs for somebody i'm just cooking pasta for somebody he this was like i mean the guy was obviously a superstar he was the goat and you know and and it's deep he looked at it differently than just food and because of it his life he'll always be remembered in in this world because of the way he he took his industry and his passion very serious. So, you know, and, and I, and I see a lot of that in you when I come to your restaurants and, and have hung out with you at your house now and see you with, with the way you handle the, it's not just food, right? When did you, when did you start really thinking like that or understanding that in your life? And like, this is what I want to do. You know, it happened after, um, after high school, I, in high school, I had a job at Panera Bread. That was my first food job, and I just liked making sandwiches. I didn't, you know, you call it, you know, if you work at Subway, you call it a sandwich artist. Panera was very similar, making turkey sandwiches. Just loved working with the food. Didn't know it was a career, and I also came from an Italian family where, you know, not to sound cliche, but Sundays was dinner. It was important. I was in the kitchen with my grandma, making gnocchi and making tortellini and freezing them. So I was kind of in like, you know, I had. When you grow up in like a super masculine Italian family, my dad like bought a '66 GTO and we're, like, we're gonna work on this, and I was like, I'm gonna make gnocchi with him. <laughs> Everyone's like, is this kid okay? Everyone's like, oh. yeah, but that will, um, that'll raise some concern yeah. too, as it yeah, yeah. And then out of desperation, what happened was I always loved food. Senior year of high school, I ended up getting a job at Lone Star Steakhouse out of the f- pure desperation i need a job i needed money i'm gonna go wash dishes and that's where i fell in love with the restaurant business so you have you need two if you're going to be a successful chef in this world you need to a love food and b love the business everything about the restaurant business the nights the weekend the adrenaline rush of service the butterflies you get in your stomach at about 4 30 knowing you got 200 people coming to spend money on your what you on what you created and the pressure that comes with that and the nervousness that comes with that, that's when I fell in love with the restaurant business. Started washing dishes at Lone Star Steakhouse. And that's when I kind of realized, you know, I actually I'm good at this. I worked my way up to the Bloomin' Onion Station. <laughs> it was a badass. You, you basically take an onion, cut it in a certain way, dip it in a batter, and then you got to fry it. But you can't just drop it in the fryer. you got to give it a little spin <laughs> before it hits the fryer. And then when they'd go out the door, there'd always be a couple missing. Is that <laughs> so I grew up in the food business, and my dad owned banquet halls. He he still does banquet halls and, and weddings. That's what we did. So everything you're saying, um, I I do remember seven thirty. You know, feeding a thousand people within forty five minutes. Right now, we banquets and and what you guys do is two totally different things. They're two totally different industries, but. They're not totally different industries, but different, totally, you know, feeding a lot of people at one time. And you're not getting too creative. It's just, it's very simple compared to kind of the, the creativity side of what you guys do. But 
it, the business side is what I fell in love with. I, 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 the nights, the weekends, that stuff, uh, it taught me how to work. It taught me how to, you know, you just got to outwork everybody. We were working when everybody else was with their families and enjoying themselves. A Michigan football game on a Saturday, all the guys are meeting up. We're going to work. Like, you're, you kind of envied it a little bit. But now, being older and running my own businesses, I appreciate and respect that so much. You know, um, I never really fell in love with the food side of it. I fell in love with the business side of it. So at what point, obviously you knew at a young age that you, you loved the food side. At, at what point did you understand and, and, and was there a mentor? Was, you know, my dad was my mentor. My brothers have been my mentor, you know, for the last couple of years. At what point did you realize, okay, I love food now, I can turn this into a business. Like, when did that happen? Or how did that happen? Yeah, so, yeah, to your point, like, I think that similar, like, when you go to Europe or, like, you ha- like the military is mandatory for two years, I think it should be mandatory for everybody to work in a restaurant for, like, a year. I That's agree education with that. right there. I agree. It's work ethic. It's hospitality and customer service. It's people skills. You're going to learn a lot. So when I was um, working at the Lone Star Steakhouse, uh, slinging those uh, stuffed sweet potatoes and baked potatoes and steaks. I ended up getting another job at this place called Appetizer. Still was not sure this was my career. I was a terrible student, by the way. I graduated high school with a 1.7 GPA. Everybody should know that. <laughs> I didn't take the ACTs, the SATs, the STDs. I didn't do any <laughs> standardized testing. Or I was a really bad student, and I hated school. Hated it. So I was looking at a a career in maybe labor, you know, um, whatever it was, maybe HVAC or something. I didn't know. I had no clue. I was 19 years old working as a line cook. And then I ended up getting a job at this place called Appetizer in Milford. I don't ended up up there. And that was the first time I ever met, like, a chef. He was a chef owner of the restaurant. And I was like, what do you, you like, this is, like, your life? He's like, yeah, I went to culinary school. This is what I do. He was a... Um, I want to say mentor because he was he taught me a lot about the world. He was a, not a good I wouldn't follow like his personal behavior too much. <laughs> Big into drugs, bad with his family, you know, like not a good human person. Well, I don't know. You know, I don't want to get into all that. But I didn't like envy his personal life. But the fact that he was a chef piqued my interest. I'm like this this is a thing where people do for a living kind of I love food. I'm super into it. And and he went to culinary school. He like, you know, he did the job, and I was it piqued my interest. So he started working next to me, side by side, working next to me, um, as a line cook as well. Was the first huge chef friend of my life. His name was Chad Browse. His current job, he's the director of sustainability for Burger King right now. Shout out to Chad. My boy. Nice. Chad was an engineering. He's getting his master's in engineering um, while he was working the, you know, the station next to me. And here's me. No clue what's going on. Low-level drug dealer. Very low level. <laughs> you know? Cooking food, cooking pasta, learning about it. And we're working together. And we both love food. And we both connected over it. And that's when he was like, dude, you're fucking good at this. You're good. You should really consider this. I'm dropping out of engineering school at U of M, where I'm like first in my class, and wow. going to culinary school at the CIA. Very I'm like, ballsy. listen, bro, yeah. culinary school at the CIA, it's a hard school to get into. I didn't know, I didn't, like I said, t- 
terrible transcripts, terrible student, no standardized testing. And Chad was like, let's do it. I'm going to, he like filled out the application for me. And he was like, listen, you don't need any transcripts. All you need is work experience, six months work experience, which I had. They do their own standardized testing. So you have to write an essay for them to make sure you're not a complete idiot. And they give you a standardized test to make sure you're like, are going to finish the program. So I did all that, got accepted, and uh, and I said, you know what, I'm going to take this leap and go to culinary school. And it was the best thing I ever did because it took me from a place where I was a young adult, not sure what I, you know, had no confidence. I didn't know what I was doing. The only place that brought me confidence and kept me out of trouble, to be completely honest, in a world where I was getting in a lot of trouble and drugs are readily available and everything's right in front of me and... Uh, the vices are there where you can fall down a slippery slope. Cooking was like my saving grace, I consider it, you know? So, like, I believe that when you commit to something, you know, I always say 10,000 hours. You got to put in your 10,000 hours. Oh, and yeah. You got to really take it to the next level. Um, and, and everything you're saying, there's so many distractions along the way. Like, you love cooking. You you understood that. You know, you, you realized, okay, this is what I like. I love it. It keeps my mind off of yeah. the bad things, right? Um, but then there's, then there's like, all right, you know, I got to I gotta really commit myself. And I think kids, the, the challenge with, with, you know, our generation, younger than us, all generations, but really you're seeing it now, is like, I think they're, I think with, especially with technology, social media and all this stuff, they're, they're, they're thinking you can go from liking food to being the owner of She-Wolf, right? And making money and, and this great business and lifestyle, right? It's awesome. It's great. But they don't, they don't understand the process. They don't understand like, okay, now like how hard it really is to go from liking it, I'm interested, to a master at your craft, right? Mm -hmm. And they want to skip all of that. So where, besides culinary school and, and yes, getting jobs at multiple restaurants is obviously, is, is obviously very important. But, you know, if you're a young 20 year old kid and you're just like, there's a lot of them out there. I hated school. I was terrible at school. You're saying every, you, you, I thought I was listening to myself talk when you, when you're talking, I just got into real estate after, you know, versus, versus, uh, uh, food. But, um, same thing. Like I hated school, couldn't stand it, really realized I was really good at selling. What can I sell where I can make money today versus, you know, and, and, and I turned that in and went into a profession. Once I realized I was good at it, uh, started reading a lot of books, you know, what, what would you recommend? I mean, you're a young kid, you're 20 years old. You really, you, you know, you, you, I like food. Now what? Go to culinary school? Culinary school is good. I recommend it. It's great for networking and it's a wealth of knowledge right at your fingertips, which if you're passionate about something, you need to be able to dive into wormholes. And nowadays, you don't get me started on this generation because I've had my issues with them. But there's some positives like social media and YouTube wormholes, learning about pasta and learning about all these things are good for, you know, a lot of these kids because just like anything, they're going to learn. And they're learning about different techniques and that things. But my advice to them would be get a job as a line cook, work your way up through a professional kitchen, and just don't stop. And A, don't care about money. If you care about making too much money, it's going to affect your ability to learn properly, learn your craft properly. Because you're going to make the wrong decision. And I'll give you an example. When I was a young, when I was in in Italy, 
um, working and going to school. I went to culinary school in Italy after I went to CIA. Um, there was a the job CIA? fair. You were in the CIA too? CIA, yeah. Oh, oh, culinary school. Gotcha. Culinary school, gotcha, yeah. Gotcha. But there was a job fair. And um, I went to it, and there was all these Italian hotels and resorts and Michelin star restaurants where I was like, I'm going to find my next, I'm gonna find it in my next job here. Um, Olive Garden was there at this Italian job fair, culinary job fair. <laughs> Olive Garden was there. And they were like, we're hiring R&D chefs for our Tuscan villa. I was like, that's a real, I thought that was for the commercials. I didn't think it was an actual place that existed. And this, this, this Italian job fair, I was like one of the only Americans that I spoke fluent Italian at this point. But this, and then these American guys from Boston were at this, at the Olive, at the Olive Garden stand. And they're like, let's talk, man. Let's get you back. Let's get you part of this. You're learning a lot about Italian food. You can be part of Olive Garden. I was like, man, you're like the enemy. What are we talking about? And so I was like, let me go through the process. And I interviewed with them, and they liked me, and they offered me a job. I'm 24 years old to make close to six figures. I would split my time between Boston and Italy. And they would fly me out four or five times a year, and then I would be creating, helping create recipes for Olive Garden, making a lot of money, and after, you know, and I, a lot of thinking and discussing, I turned that job down and took a job making like $3 an hour, but working at like, for a really good chef at a Michelin star restaurant, and getting my ass kicked, because I knew I needed that, and not the money. I did not make. I could have made the financial decision at that point in my life, and my career would have gone a whole different direction. Right now, I'd be like, you know, I don't even know what I'd be. I'd be a regional director for Olive Garden, making six figures, making more than that, and probably hating my life because my passion would have got deflected. Right. Well, I mean, you talk about being in Italy. You were in New York. What? Talk to us a little bit about the importance and the value in seeing other places and how that may have affected your experience and what you bring to the table as an executive and John's chef interested because he's never left Rochester. It's <laughs> yeah. the first time he's left Rochester I mean, Actually, in we're years. here in Detroit. This is a real treat yeah, for he's me. He's never left downtown Rochester. <laughs> I mean, getting so. south of M59 yeah. is, you know, <laughs> something of real special. But, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you were in New York City. Yeah, you yeah. went to Washington, D.C. You were yeah. in Italy, Boston. I mean, uh, you know, wherever you were at in Chicago – um, you probably have some serious takeaways from the culture and how it affected the food and um, your experience. What What is that like? Is is that overvalued? Is that is that sort of fantasy or is there some serious value in that? I think there's value in making yourself uncomfortable at all times. Creating comfort is the worst thing you can do is when you want to learn a craft. You have to Make yourself uncomfortable. Move to a city where you don't know anybody. I've done that multiple times. No friends, nothing going on. Just a job that I can learn from. From there, you're going to make friends. You're going to learn people. You're going to meet, you know, I'm an outgoing person, so I've never had problems with that. But when I moved to Italy, I'd never been to Italy. I, When I was at the CIA, I kind of won like a cooking scholarship to go to Italy and go to a slow food culinary school. Um, the... Uh, same thing. There was 170 students applied, and two people won the scholarship. I was one of them. And the reason I won is because everybody wanted to 
try to impress these judges. And you did just, just like and I made gnocchi with tomato onion. sauce. You did just a ridiculous yeah, blooming, blooming onion. onion. Yeah. <laughs> this is gonna be the best fucking blooming onion you've ever had, Luigi. My kid got some blooming onion. You see Italian guys eating blooming onions? That's a fucking podcast right there. <laughs> I've had a bad blooming onion before. The batter wasn't cooked. Yeah, yeah you need to be careful. Yeah. You got to evenly cook it. It's all about the spin. Nobody spun it. I could tell. It's all about the spin. <laughs> but Italy was a culture shock for me right away when I moved there. I didn't. Sp- I thought I spoke Italian, but I did not. Once you get there, you realize you do not speak this language. A lot of uh, people that grow up in ethnic houses will realize go to the motherland and you do not speak. You know, you may think you speak s- uh, something of it in at home or. But once you go there and the people are speaking so fast, so I had to learn fast, and I did, and everything was different. Every It's not suburban Michigan. It was a different world. The cars are way smaller. It's the first thing I learned. Grocery stores aren't a thing. It's like every town has a baker, a meat shop, a fish shop. Uh, you know, everything is so much more. They put so much love into their food that when I went to Italy the first time, it was like I felt like I was in heaven, you know, because everything I was so passionate about and wanted to learn about was so prevalent and, you know, you could just walk down the street and learn something or taste something and everything you taste in Italy was so much different than what I was used to. A carrot, you eat a carrot from the farmer's market in Italy, it was like 10,000 carrots exploding in your mouth from Meyer. You know, where we true, you know, everything was different. The agriculture, the chickens were yellow. Nothing made sense to me. And it was confusing and uncomfortable to me. And that's what made me um, really grab onto it. And I was not going to like, when you're uncomfortable, the first thing you want to do is get comfortable. So you have to learn and learn and learn and get yourself up on everybody. So I went to an international culinary school where there were 16 students in my class only three American, two Brits, a uh, couple Germans, Koreans, Japanese, and the it was taught in Italian. Everybody had to speak Italian, even the Japanese, which spoke fluent Italian faster than any of the Americans or Brits could learn it, because wow. that's how the Japanese, that's, they learn everything so quickly. And, uh, and it was very good experience, because we were all there, we're all in the same boat, and like anything, I wanted to be better than everybody, so I had to get there quick. I had to learn faster than all of them. Was it always Italy? Like always Italian? Like have you have you ever been to you know any like Spain, France? Like you? I mean, or or is it always you've been concentrating on Italian? For food? me, it's always been Italian. There's so much wealth of knowledge there. Every region of Italy has a different cuisine that's spectacular and different in its own way. And so there was so much for me to learn in Italy. I mean, yes. There's a lot of chefs out there. I'm not saying you need to just focus on one re- one specific country. There's a lot of chefs out there that can learn a lot of beautiful Italian basics, Spanish basics, French basics, Japanese basics, and you're a great chef. But I initially knew that my focus was going to be Italian from day one. It's my family. It's my heritage. I think of Italy and the art um, yeah. center that it is. Yeah. And I think of... Um, I think of a, a chef as a sort of an artist in a, in a lot of ways. You look at a menu, and there's a lot of things I have to Google. Yeah. You know, because I don't even know what it means. But I mean, 
it's you look at a menu and you can say, well, okay, the chef has put some intentional thought into this and has become an artist. Yeah. You know, and I know that there's you know school that you went to and culinary from, arts. This arts. I mean, that's why it's called that, yeah. right? I mean, it is an art. But when do you become your own artist? in this process of becoming an executive chef and having restaurants and having your own menus and that kind of thing? You know, that's tough. I don't like the term artist when it comes to a chef because it sounds pretentious and, like, it makes me sound like uh, I should have a monocle and, like, uh, you know, walk around telling people. I like, I think it's more of a crafts, like a craft. Like, I think I'm more of a craftsman. Like, I'm more of a... That might be a Detroit thing. Maybe. But I think my... My career, my field, and the people that come into my field and excel in my field, they relate more to like a carpenter than an artist or like a an electrician than an artist because you have to complete a task and complete it perfectly as you possibly can. So mastering a craft opposed to becoming creating as opposed to creating okay you don't really start creating until you get to a certain level in my field you can create at home all you want you can do everything you want at home you can be an artist you can make meatballs with uh you know ostrich thigh if you want to be creative or you can you know go to the grocery store get a make yourself a mystery basket and create something at home but once you become a professional chef and a professional cook your job is to execute somebody else's idea so all my cooks are executing my chefs are executing what i tell them to execute and yes if they show creativity or show chef i want to create this dish for you by all means i'm not going to hinder that i'm not going to put a stop sign on their creativity you want creative people that work for you because that's the best kind of work environment that you can you can have is people bouncing ideas off each other but if that's your only focus if that's all you want to do and you don't want to execute my recipes consistently every day for years then then you're not doing your job properly because i did that when i was coming up i worked for a chef who was a great artist and a great creator and i just created what he told me to do and he taught me and you have to take pride and consistency a line cook is almost like a factory an assembly line worker same thing every single day for years yeah now the business i i Everything you're saying is is spot on. Obviously, you're you're a craftsman, you're a visionary, you're you're creative, right? You're creating things. But let's go back to the business. Like I, the business stuff to me, when I when I was in real estate, I went from sales, selling every day, only worried about myself, right? It intrigued me because I came from the the world of of working with my father, tons of overhead, brick and mortar, employees, right? And I'm like, Dad, you're nuts. Like this is crazy. To real estate, I'm only worried about myself. I do a deal and. I do a deal and and I get the check and it's mine. I don't have to cut it up 11 ways, pay the rent, whatever. I I loved it for about seven years. And then, and then it hit me. I'm like, man, like I I need to really figure out a way to, to grow beyond me. Right. If I don't work today, I don't make any money. And, and, uh, how do I do that? And I had really good P I started a a little team and then I had uh, some, some, some really good people like, you know, great people working for me that I realized they were going to eventually leave me if I didn't create more opportunities for them. And, and, and that's when I started a brokerage now. And since then we've opened up other businesses and we got a lot of different things going on. And, but 
I underestimated managing people. I underestimated, and, and you know, when my, growing up with my dad, that again, going back to generations, those generations just worked, right? Our, this next gen doesn't work the way they use, they work differently. I'm not saying it's a bad thing or a good thing. It's just different. We need to learn how to to manage those types of people. But you know, with running your restaurant, you know, in in hiring people that want to be in the kitchen. Let's say you do find somebody that's like yourself. What what do you do with that? Because do you, is it do you foster that? Do you do you do you do you embrace that and then try to and try to grow with that person or let that person grow, open up more restaurants? How do you corral that person or is it just like I'm proud of you, go, see you later, fist pump and I'm always here for you because it happens in my industry. You train and help these agents and all of a sudden it's like I can do this, right? And then they become your competitor. Right? Have you seen that happen? I know you've had some chefs leave you, some great people leave you to do other things. A, how do you handle it? And B, is it, you know, is it something that you can do to make sure it happens less or yeah. you know, what what is your thoughts on it? So probably, you know, one of the greatest one of my greatest accomplishments as a as a chef. I was in DC, I was working, I was working at a restaurant called 1789 and then I ran another restaurant called the Hamilton. And, um, you know, at one point at the Hamilton, I had 11 sous chefs under me. And during my, like, seven years with this company, um, I created a lot of great dishes. I met a lot of great people. Um, I ran a, you know, a great, from a business standpoint, food costs, labor costs, everything in line. I was successful in running it. But my my favorite accomplishment was, like, I created seven executive chefs within that company. I became like my kitchen became um kind of like a minor league baseball team where I was developing people and then turning them into their own chef where they could go on. So you have to work with them and develop them and then they have to make mistakes. You have to let them go and do it and then you correct their mistakes as they go, but to think you can uh to think you can just like have somebody work for you forever in my world is kind of like almost egotistical and like stupid because you need to a really talented person's going to want to do their own thing at some point and you can create as much opportunity for them within your business as you can possibly can and some people are completely content in that they'll find it they'll be like I got my 50 hour work week where I can put a couple things on the menu go back to my family and do that and live their life, but some people are so ambitious that I need my own restaurant. There's nothing you to be able to stop them from doing that. You just got to give them, you know, as much knowledge as they can, and hopefully they're successful in that. Yeah, I mean, they're they're every everybody again sees the end result. You have a very successful restaurant. You 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 worked your you worked your balls off to get to where you are, um, and that's literally what you do. You work and and and. Um, you know, and then you, and then they just see the end result, right? Yeah. They see, man, Anthony's killing it. He's so lucky. He's so great. I want, I want his life, right? But they don't like. But in everything you do, like I love what I do. I love waking up every day and going to my office and walking in there. And you know, but there are things you don't like. You know, nobody hears that. Like everyone is always like, "It's great. It's amazing." You know, I do this. I do that. It, it, but like part of this podcast is I really want people to see and hear about the things that that they're not seeing or they're not or those other people aren't considering right so like what is it that you that you hate about what you do it's a good question man is it like hell's kitchen ooh 
Is it um, like the TV shows? I mean, yeah. that's what people think about realtors, and it's yeah, yeah. just like those you know reality yeah, yeah. shows. How much is it like that? And like, you know, what part of it is is absolutely dreaded? You know, what is completely yeah. off from those shows? So like, um, you know, Gordon Ramsay, you know, is a, probably the most famous chef in the world, right? He is known for screaming at people and telling them they're idiots, and like that. If you work in a Gordon Ramsay, Gordon Ramsay has more Michelin stars. It's the highest accolade you can get as a chef than anybody in the world. And he also is a TV personality on top of that. So he's done both. But his kitchens are no, notoriously intense, and you get screamed at and belittled. And that's the world I came up in, where I was. it was so hard, and you were going to get screamed at by a person, and probably things will get thrown at you, and... There may become physical altercations from this, from these intense kitchens, and um, but that can't—that's not how it is now. Obviously, in the world we live in now, you would get sued so quick if you were to do anything right. like that. So it's almost my, locker room style, like, very like much. it's like a like the boys' locker room, yeah, a little bit, right? That's how it is, and it's it was hard as fuck. There's and labor laws were being violated, and. You know, public and uh, you know, human resource codes and laws were being violated every single day in the world that I came up in. So obviously, I can't run my business like that. You need to adjust. And you know, back to where if it were to come to like, what do I hate? That's tough. It's like, it's a really tough thing to answer. I mean, I have to think about it. But like, hate's a strong. Word. Hate's a strong. It's word. a strong word. I guess you know, and and, and maybe it's the wrong word, but it's. You know, like what is it that you know when when you it just it happens where you just put your head down and you're like, oh. yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that coming from the customer facing point of view, where like uh, I've worked my ass off to create this type of contemporary Italian cuisine that I want people to understand, like She Wolf and the food that I'm making. This is how it is in Italy. Um, and then a customer will come in and be like, where's the fettuccine Alfredo with blackened salmon on it? Because this is an Italian restaurant. Right. Somebody and that's what ketchup. Yeah. I was at an Italian <laughs> restaurant last week um, in Rochester, and this is what I ate. I had a blackened piece of salmon and a Cajun penne. And I'm like, okay, the word Cajun and penne, there's not, like, it's not a, you know. We're talking about a different type of Sounds cuisine. Sounds like he's talking to you. <laughs> yeah. I'll talk to the owner. I'm sorry about that experience. And then not only like, okay, this is what this is the dish that we're going to make for you, but they get mad at me for not um, giving them their experience. And in their mind, I'm the customer. I'm always right. Where in our minds, we're created something for you. And by the way, this is like 0.001% of customers that come in. Most people love the experience and want to learn and want to experience a dish that somebody created. Well, I think that's what makes your restaurant so amazing and great. You, you know, there's 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 tons of those types of restaurants if you want those things. Go yeah. there, right? And I think if you take that stance with your clients and you see it, your success of the restaurant, you you know, is it, it shows, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you stick to what you do. It, we, we do it at Adobe. You know, we have agents who will say all the time, well, why, why isn't your comp plan half and, you know, and, and this and that? And it's like, well... Did you did you like your closing experience? Did you like the like do you like the office space? Do you like you know that we have fourteen staff members here with a, you know if, and, and if you want it for half there's there's a 
thousands of those brokerages go, right? And in the beginning, when you're when you're starting off, and, and I'm going to turn this into a question. In the beginning, when you're starting off, like when I started Adobe, it used to bother me. And I used to kind of change my thought process to help to make them happy, right? Well, then over like two, three year period, I'm like, you know what? Fuck this. Like, this is Adobe. This is how we do it. You either like it or you don't. And I found that it, it, I was happier. My my staff was happier. Um, our business started to grow, and the and, and the agents were happier because they they're not getting something different from all you know all every, everything's different every day, right? But in the beginning, you want it to work so bad. You're like, you know what? Screw it. I'll do that for you, right? Did you find yourself doing that in the beginning? We had to. We didn't want to go down that slippery slope, right? So I made a pretty, pretty stern stance at the beginning of when we opened She Wolf. Um, and by the way, it's scary because what happens if you're not busy and you're not making money, and you need to go against your values, right? I, like I'll use chicken parm as the classic example. I would not. I don't have any chicken on the menu at She Wolf. There's no chicken parm. There's no veal parm. There's no meatballs. These are Italian-American dishes, which are delicious at a lot of places, but it's not part of our concept. We're an Italian-Italian restaurant. You should be able to take She-Wolf, lift it up, drop it in the middle of Rome or Bologna or Milano, and it's a successful restaurant. And Or in San Francisco, New York, and it didn't exist in Detroit at the time. So people were coming in and saying, I want a chicken parm. I'm an Italian restaurant. This is how it is. And to say no to a customer that's bringing their green dollars to you is scary at first. Yeah, it's hard. But you got to stick to it. You just got to say, you know. How do you think She Wolf would do in Italy? I mean, you said it. Like, you thought you spoke Italian before going, yeah. going there, right? Yeah. And then you realized, oh, man, I don't really speak Italian. If you did do that, pick it up, drop it in, in, in the middle of, you know, Rome. How, is it still rocking? I think it would crush, yeah. Yeah? I think it would crush. I think that it's all about... The restaurant business is all about storytelling and connecting the dots. And I think Shewolf does a good job about being Roman and we're inspired by Rome and inspired by Italian ingredients. And I think the Italian people would connect with it. There's a lot of Italian expats in the Detroit area because of, you know, Stellantis and Fiat Chrysler and all that. And we have a consulate office here right down the street. There's like 20,000 Italians like Italian citizens living in the Metro Detroit area. Um, Fiat, when they originally bought Chrysler and became the Stellantis company, a lot of their suppliers, they told them, you better put an office in Detroit because we're there now. So there's a lot of Italian suppliers here now, and there's just a lot of Italians. And they, you know, there's a lot of like, this is not how it is in Italy. But for the most part, they like us. You know, I'm, I am... I'm Lebanese Italian. I grew up yeah. on the east side nice like combo. you, and it was a great combo. Food, it was like all we did, right? I mean, you could tell yeah. by my size, like it was what we loved doing. And, and Sunday dinners are amazing, and they're great, and that's, you know, uh, what we looked forward to. Um, and it's special. And, and you, you know, my dad, again, going giving my dad a lot of credit, my mom makes the best, to me, the best sauce ever, right? Yeah, and my yeah. dad was always like, he hated having... Italian weddings at yeah. his facility because his sauce was never good enough. You only like yeah. you only like the sauce you grew up on, right? I mean, like he always used to he used to love feeding everybody else but Italians because we so, served a lot of pasta and um, you know every every time they'd come in and they, they'd hate it. And I'm sure if you went to the Arab 
you know, wedding. They don't like the, the, the grape yeah. leaves, the domo, whatever it is, right? And, or the hummus isn't right. Are you finding that? Are you finding that a lot of Italians are coming to your restaurant? Like, they say don't eat, eat at a Chinese restaurant unless you see Chinese people working. Yeah, there. yeah, like, yeah. Is that, a, you know, do you see that? You know, we don't. And the reason why is because there's so many other Italian restaurants that do it that don't, you know, do what we do, right? There's a lot of Italian-American restaurants in our region. So if Italians are used to going to that, right, and they're like, this is not it, then they come to us and we're making carbonara with real guanciale and we're doing a lot of things right. They're like, oh, they realize, oh, this is actually, but we do get it. You know, we get like, uh, we get it We get it from a lot of, it comes more from Italian-Americans than it does from actual Italian citizens. It comes from the guy that lives in Shelby Township who's never been to Italy once and has uh, an Italian, the map of Italy tattooed on his back right next to the Cadillac symbol. And <laughs> these are people that I grew up with and I love very much, but they don't know shit about Italian food. Right. And they want to come to, you know, and tell me about this and that and this and that. And I'm like, listen, this is, I've studied this for years. This is, I've, this is ingrained in me. I come from where you come from. So I understand what you're talking about, and there is, we call it red sauce, there's a lot of room for that kind of restaurant in the market. It, it should exist, and it does exist. It's nostalgic to me, even, and I love eating it. And there's a lot of good examples around Metro Detroit. Da Francesco's is one of them, phenomenal place. We're different. We're not that. You're not going to get. And so, you know, to tell us that it's not true or it's not real Italian, we just know how to... We just, our servers are trained to be like this is chefs you know you know chefs created this and it may not be what your mom or your grandma made but I like to say I like to say like uh, this is not your this is not your fucking nonna's cuisine you know right a lot of people are like oh you know there's this stigma of like the Italian grandma and the nonna and there's uh, it's beautiful but I'm a fucking professionally trained chef that has worked in some of the best restaurants all throughout the country and in Italy. And I'm not a nonna. I'm not a grandma. I'm not walking around in a muumu. <laughs> and so it's different, you know? Yeah, and again, that's why it works. And I think, I think, you know, as as time goes on and as generations go on, I think people are more and more open-minded to stuff like that. Like, we grew up, we went to the same, like, two restaurants. Our yeah, whole, if we went same, out. Same we, a, we never went out to dinner. Yeah, yeah. And I think I was, like, 22 when I went to my first steakhouse, right? Like, like we didn't do that growing up. We just ate at home. And, or if we did, we went to, you know, those restaurants you just named. You know, uh, it's because where we grew up, there are so many good markets. A ton. A ton of good The food, markets. the ingredients were, were good, you know? And a lot of, like, uh, mid-major cities or around the country that I've been to or lived at or worked at, I'll say Cincinnati, Cleveland, Indianapolis. Detroit has some of the best independent grocers and better Italian ingredients and ethnic ingredients. So people cook at home more. They have We have a lot of like, it's, I don't know, the automotive industry brought a lot, like a huge melting pot to our region. And it goes back to the first question where Anthony Bourdain's talking about, you know, regional, everything is like, tugs at your heart food wise so these italian red sauce places that you went growing up you know or the they don't exist in a lot of other major market cities 100 percent, and they tug at our heartstrings more and that's why people take it so freaking personally yeah i mean i moved i live by you i moved to bloomfield i'm from you know from the east side I moved to bloomfield and it was different right like i'm just you you go to you'd go to uh the 
the Krogers thinking they had the same Krogers on, you know, 25 and DeQuinter, the same stuff, and it's night and day. It's two totally different things. You, couldn't, you know, restaurants are night and day. Every, everything is so different. I mean, and you're right. We're very, we have a very unique, uh, we're in a very unique demographic when it comes to, to food. And, and it's, you know, it's probably not on a national, maybe you would know more on a national level. Detroit, I'm sure, is, you know, I think it's underestimated a little bit when Big it comes time. to, Big know, time these, underestimated. these types of foods. But, you know, one, one thing I want to talk about too is, is, you know, my dad always told me, I'm doing this business, guys, so you don't have to one day. I'm giving up my life. I'm giving up my nights and weekends. I'm grinding like this so one day you don't have to. You recently, just, you know, three days ago, had a baby boy, Angelo. Congratulations. That's unbelievable. Uh, uh, unbelievable. Life-changing, obviously. You know, <clears throat> 20, 25 years from now, do you, is this something you'd love to see him do? He's the heir of She-Wolf. Yeah. He's gonna would run you it. love to see him in the business? I would love to see him... Working in it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to say, like, yet, you know, I don't want my, I don't feel like I'm in a type of business where I'm going to keep my kids out of it, you know? It's not like the mafia where I'm like, go to law school. No, I want them to like. I want them to be working like in a couple of years. I mean, as you said, it's it's uh, education to be yeah. at a restaurant, yeah. whether it is in the back cooking or if you're a, a waiter or waitress and, you know, uh, mingling with the customers and yeah. learning that customer service and what that might apply to. You know, if they stay in the restaurant or go somewhere else. Listen, yeah. Dolby would not be created if it wasn't for the food business. I mean, I learned what I learned in that business, just, you know, little things, right? Like my dad used to say, like, you know, we banquet halls, Monday through Friday, you don't do many parties, right? So you'd go into these big, big rooms, right? You know, these huge spaces that are vacant literally from Monday through through Friday. And my dad got creative. He thought of different things he could be doing to make money with those spaces. You know, that taught me a ton. Grinding Thursday through Sunday, 40 hours in three days, like no sleep, moving tables all night long. Like, I agree. You know, our kids live five doors down from each other, and they're going to be three, four years apart. Like, I'm hoping that my kids, our kids will drive down to She-Wolf together and work because I do think they need to work work like that you know but my dad's thing was you're you're gonna work here you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna learn this business you're not gonna be sitting at home playing video games you're gonna work and you're gonna learn now take this and do 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 more with it that was always his thing and 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 i got into real estate something completely different but every day i see what i did i see some aspect of what i did i mean i always say i'm not in real estate i'm in the i'm in the hospitality business i'm into creating experiences i'm into when you walk into adobe what what is this you know how do we make you feel different when you walk into adobe and and that was stuff you know i picked up a little nugget from you i remember the first time i ever ate at she wolf you guys at the end we 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 signed our bill and we got a little uh, pancake mix. Like, thanks for eating here. Have breakfast on us or whatever. It's a cool message. And you don't see that. And I was like, that's really cool, right? How could we do something like that with closings? And then we started kind of going down a rabbit hole with closings because closings feel like you're going to, uh, you know, you're going to, to sign away your life when it should be a celebration. And, and, and now we have menus when you close. We have all these things. But I, I, I was able to to, to kind of learn from my dad and, and different experiences, and, and and I always say we're not in real estate, not to, to go off. But when you look at when you look at your son, like and you and you pitch yourself, like I I've, I'm creating a company that I believe, in, and whether my kids want to do it or not is up to them. I'm not going to force them to do anything they don't want to do. But I can close my eyes at night and I can think, man, okay, 20 years from now, I'm going to be you know 60 years old, and I see my my daughters, my my son, and 
I'm creating a business that they can be a part of and I want them to be a part of and it will give them hopefully, you know, they're not working nights and weekends, even though it's good for them, right? It's great for them. But, um, you know, that's what I envision, right? Do you, you picture that? I mean, I know you've only had a, yeah. a son for three days, but I know you know you, you can't probably imagine life without him anymore, yeah, right? Yeah, but yeah. What, what do you picture, you know, 20 years from now? Yeah, the options, just options. Options, you know? right. Options for them. It's a good way. Now, the it. hospitality world, I like to, we have a lot of, there's a common misconception like, uh, you know, especially of servers among servers and hospitality professionals where, uh, you know, they'll get a job at, quickens or you know rocket mortgage and they'll be like oh i quit my serving job for like a real job and i hate when people say that because i'm like was the money you were making here not real was it not physical you can hold it in your hands when you go to like um new york city all these eponymous restaurants that have been there years you have servers who have served for 20 years raised their kids put their kids through college on a serving career on a serving job or as a professional cook or shut you know the nighttime and the hospitality night and weekends is a real industry and i want to champion that you know i don't want people to say oh i got a real job where i just work nine to five and i'm off saturday no this is a real job you can have my life and work nights and weekends and then take monday my whole you know i've made sacrifices my whole uh my whole career where i worked weekends and holidays and guess what I have a strong relationship with my family because I would see them Mondays or Tuesday mornings for brunch instead of getting dinner on a Saturday night. You have to be able to, and I have a phenomenal relationship with my wife because we spend mornings together all the time and we eat breakfast instead of dinner together. And I see in my future, instead of family dinners, there's going to be family breakfasts or lunch and we're going to hit the same points but just at different times. And that's what family is. You just got to adjust and work. But, like, I don't want to get, I don't want my kids to think or anybody to think that working nights and weekends is like not a real job because it is. I, I think that actually transitions to a couple that I've got too. Now, of course, Simon talks about business and that's where his mind goes. And I, I have like crazy, stupid yeah. questions that yeah, yeah. I think anyone would sort of laugh and be entertained to know like for example what's the most exotic thing you've ever eaten and would you put it on a menu (laughs) oh my gosh um well we took a chef trip a couple of me and my buddies we went to st john's newfoundland where we ate seal and that was freaking intense seal yeah what it tastes like chicken no it tastes like an anchovy steak oh that's how i describe it wow (laughs) eat a lot of horse in italy and sicily there's oh yeah horse is delicious Um, there's a, uh, a famous sandwich in Sicily called pan con mausa, and it's a, basically a Sicilian semolina bread, boiled uh, spleen and lung from a pork, and then you boil it, and then you poach it in, like, pig fat, and with onions, Wow! boom, a little provolone. Holy, that's so fucking good. <laughs> wow. So good. That is pretty uh that's pretty exotic. That, yeah. that's, What's yours, uh, John, besides like two week old, you know, sandwich? <laughs> What's yours? Well, I'm married to a Bulgarian from Bulgaria oh, nice. and uh I mean she um introduced me to like tripe and oh, I love tripe, yeah. You know, the, the intestines and that kind oh, of yeah. thing. We had beef tongue and we didn't tell our our son that we were feeding him beef tongue and he seemed to love it and then we told him afterwards and 
He was okay with it. Yeah, you got to <laughs> ask for forgiveness kind of thing. Right, you know? right. But he ate it. So I've I've uh, tested the waters with different exotic foods and things that aren't usually on a menu. So, um, But I, I always find that interesting. I mean, you've obviously traveled. You've obviously had to taste test a lot of different things. You know, So I figured that would be a pretty good answer. And that's a, that's a big, like, uh, back to Bourdain, the goat. And he's not the goat chef. He's the goat of, like bringing um the public and you know bringing them up close and personal with cultures and cuisine he's a travel he's like a travel media personality more than his background as a chef so his passion for food was prevalent through his travels but he would say when you go to a city and you want to explore it the first place you go to is the central market and you talk to those people those are the food people so if I travel to a city, I'll go to the market. I'll find, I'll go to like uh, wherever they're selling food in a fu- at a stand. Like Eastern Market would be an example here. You go to Eastern Market and you talk to the guy who's selling produce. His life is food. So the decisions he makes to eat are the decisions you want to make to eat because his life is based around food. And you talk to chefs and you talk to bartenders. Their life is food and drinks. They're going to know the spots, you know. And that's where you, that's what that's what I've kind of followed that guy. Is I there travel. anything on the She Wolf menu that you might not find anywhere else? Something that's super exotic, and and if not, what's your favorite item on the menu? I don't know about exotic, but we do have right now. We have this thing called Campanelli Confegato, which is a chicken liver pasta, and the pasta is made with chestnut flour, and the we use fresh organic chicken livers, saute them to order. Deglaze the pan with some marsala wine, and it becomes a chicken liver pasta. Oh, my wife would love that. My dad, too. Nice and earthy. Chicken livers, absolutely. I freaking love chicken livers. I love all livers. I love all organ meats. My my grandmother used to eat chicken liver growing up, and... uh, I couldn't. I couldn't. It's a I couldn't do it. Like the texture is all like chalky. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. But well, listen, we got to wrap this up, and and um, you know. This is a question that we were talking about. Uh, I think we're going to carry this question on for all all of our podcasts, whether you're a chef or not, any industry. But we're, we want to end it with, it, it, what is your death row meal, last meal? It's a good question, man. It's a good question. I would say um, I would probably eat lobster. Lobster is one meal. of my favorite things to eat. I go to Maine every summer. Um and I eat a, enough lobster where I literally, my iodine levels increase and I have to get like an IV when I come back. <laughs> I eat so much freaking lobster. So I think death row, I would be like, give me 15 lobsters steamed right now and I'll and a fucking pot of melted butter. And I will smash these things before you go electrocute me for really whatever crime I've committed. <laughs> lobsters, lobsters, pretty amazing. Um, well... Anthony, you know, I can't thank you enough for, for saying yes to this. Again, you, you right when we thought of this idea, we thought I thought you were a perfect fit because I, I've seen how passionate you are about your business, about creating experience for your clients, 
about being a, a master uh, at your craft, doing the things that I, I've experienced, right? Like when I when I see you, your personality, everything about you really is amazing. And uh, I'm not Thank just you. saying that. It's it's you, you're somebody you remember, and uh, I love 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 going to your businesses. I love hanging out with you and your family, and our kids are are going to be very close growing up again because we we live very close to each other, but. I'm really impressed with what what you have done, and I think that um, you know people take what we you know creating businesses and running businesses and sacrificing what you sacrificed. Um, you know they they think it's easy, so I, I really do think that you were a perfect fit for our first episode. Uh, hopefully, down the road we'll do some more, and um, you know can't can't thank you enough. And John, you know, I appreciate you doing this with us. John's been a oh, good my buddy pleasure. my whole Thanks life. For including so, me and this is a yeah. great conversation. I absolutely enjoyed it. Yeah. So thank you guys. You guys did a great job. Thanks for having me as a do we have to give a shout out to our sponsors or anything? Like, do we uh, have sponsors? Do we uh oh yeah we do uh, uh, Viagra? What is who sponsoring <laughs> us? <laughs> yeah we have uh, yeah Viagra. The Foundation uh, Hotel no. they don't they don't yeah, no, they, found, they don't know. They foundation don't know. Hotel. This room is actually really cool. I didn't even know this room existed here. So it's a, it's a neat spot, but we appreciate them letting us use it. So Beautiful. thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right.